He paused as he penciled his instructions on a scrap of paper. Don't get the silly girl pregnant, he went on. Don't give her the thrashing she bloody well deserves. And don't, for the love of Christ, lose her. And don't lose Colonel Christopher either. Am I plain? Colonel Christopher's coming with us? Sharp asked, appalled. Didn't I just tell you that? Hogan inquired innocently. Then turned as a clatter of hooves announced the appearance of the widow Savage's travelling coach and a coachman leading Hogan's black mare. The captain hoisted himself into the saddle. You'll be back with us in a couple of days, he assured Sharp. Say seven hours to Villarreal de Zedis. The same back to the ferry at Barca de Vintas. And then a quiet stroll home. You know where Barca de Vintas is. No, sir. That way. Hogan pointed eastwards. Four country miles. What I don't understand, Sharp began, then paused because the front door of the house had been thrown open, and Mrs. Savage, widow and mother of the missing daughter, came into the sunlight. She was a good-looking woman in her forties, dark-haired, tall and slender. She hurried down the steps as a cannonball rumbled overhead, and then there was a smattering of musket fire alarmingly close so close that Sharp climbed the porch steps to stare at the crest of the hill, where the Braga Road disappeared between a large tavern and a handsome church. A Portuguese six-pounder gun had just deployed by the church and was now firing at the invisible enemy. The sight of the small gun firing from its makeshift position in the centre of the road suggested that the bishop's defences were crumbling fast. A building must have been burning beyond the crest, but there was a great smear of smoke drifting westwards. Mrs. Savage sobbed that her baby daughter was lost. Then Captain Hogan managed to persuade the widow into the carriage. You will find Kate, Captain Hogan. The precious darling will be with you very soon, Hogan said, reassuringly. Mr. Sharp will see to that, he added. Then used his foot to close the coach door on Mrs. Savage, who was the widow of one of the many British wine merchants in the city of Oporto. She was certainly rich, Sharp knew, but she was also foolish for she should have left the city days before. Colonel Christopher, who had lodged in the House Beautiful, had appealed to the British forces to send men to escort Mrs. Savage safely away, and Captain Hogan had been the closest officer, and Sharp, with his riflemen, had been protecting Hogan while the engineer mapped northern Portugal. What I don't understand, Sharp persevered, is why she ran away. She's probably in love, Hogan explained airily, Nineteen-year-old girls of respectable families are dangerously susceptible to love because of all the novels they read. See you in two days, Richard. Colonel Christopher will be with you directly, and listen. He bent down from the saddle and lowered his voice, so that no one but Sharp could hear him. Keep a close eye on the Colonel, Richard. I worry about him, I do. You should worry about me, sir. I do that too, Richard. I do indeed, Hogan said. Then straightened up waved farewell, and spurred his horse after Mrs. Savage's carriage, which had joined the stream of fugitives going towards the Douro. A French cannonball struck a tree on the hill's crest and exploded a cloud of reddish blossom. Daniel Hagman stared at the airborne blossom. Looks like a wedding, he said, and then glanced up as a musket ball ricocheted off a roof tile. Hagman was the oldest man in Sharp's troop, a poacher from Cheshire who was a deadly shot with his Baker rifle. Sergeant Harper checked that the sentinels were watching the north. A troop of Portuguese cavalry had appeared on the crest where the cannon was firing bravely. A rattle of musketry proved that some infantry was still fighting. 
but more and more troops were retreating past the house, and Sharp knew it could only be a matter of minutes before the city's defences collapsed. Why would someone call their home the house beautiful? Hagman wondered. Didn't know you could read that, Sharp said. I can't, sir, but Isaiah read it to me. Tongue, Sharp called. Why would someone call their home house beautiful? Isaiah Tongue, long and thin and dark and educated, who had joined the army because he was a drunk and thereby lost his respectable job, grinned. Because he's a good Protestant, sir. It's from a book by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. I've heard of that, Sharp said. Some folk consider it essential reading, Tongue said airily. The hero, Christian, calls at the house beautiful, sir, where he talks with four virgins. Hagman laughed. Let's get inside now, sir. You're too old for a virgin, Dan, Sharp said. Up the hill, two round shots bounced on the crest of the road, one of them taken off the leg of a Portuguese gunner. Sharp's men watched expressionless as the round shot bounded on, spraying blood like a Catherine wheel, to finally bang and stop against a garden wall across the road. So where the hell was Colonel Christopher? Sharp had only met the colonel once. Hogan had been mapping the upper reaches of the river Cavado, and the colonel and his servant had ridden out of the hills and shared a bivouac with the rifleman. Sharp had not liked Christopher, who had been supercilious and even scornful of Hogan's work. You map the country, Hogan, the colonel had said, but I map their minds. A very complicated thing, the human mind, not simple like hills and rivers and bridges. Beyond that statement he'd not explained his presence, but just ridden on the next morning. More Portuguese retreated down the slope and the cannon was being attached to its limber and spent musket balls were rattling against the house beautiful. Sir? Sergeant Harper called a warning. Lieutenant Colonel Christopher came riding from the stable yard. The colonel, who was armed with a sabre and a brace of pistols, was cleaning his teeth with a wooden pick, something he did frequently, evidently because he was proud of his even white smile. He was accompanied by his Portuguese servant, who, mounted on his master's spare horse, was carrying an enormous valise. Colonel Christopher curbed his horse and stared in astonishment at Sharp. What on earth? Are you doing here, Lieutenant? Ordered to stay with you, sir, Sharp answered. And how the devil are you supposed to do that, eh? I have a horse, Sharp, and you do not. Captain Hogan gave me an order, sir, Sharp answered woodenly, to help you find Miss Savage. Colonel Christopher sighed. He was a black-haired man in his forties, but still youthfully handsome, with just a distinguished touch of grey at his temples. He wore black boots, plain black riding breeches, a black cocked hat, and a red coat with black facings. Those black facings had prompted Sharp on his previous meeting with the colonel to ask whether Christopher served in the Dirty Half Hundred, the 50th Regiment. But the colonel had treated the question as an impertinence. All you need to know, Lieutenant, is that I serve on General Craddock's staff. You have heard of the general. Craddock was the general in command of the British forces in southern Portugal. Sharp had stayed silent after Christopher's response, but Hogan had later suggested that the colonel was probably a political soldier, meaning he was no soldier at all, but rather a man who found life more convenient if he was in uniform. The world is a convoluted place, Richard, he'd explained, and the Foreign Office believes that we soldiers are clumsy fellows. 
so they like to have their own people on the ground to patch up our mistakes, and of course to find things out, which was what Lieutenant Colonel Christopher appeared to be doing, finding things out. He says he's mapping their minds, Hogan amused, and what I think he means by that is discovering whether Portugal is worth defending, whether they'll fight, and when he knows he'll tell the Foreign Office. Of course it's worth defending, Sharp had protested. Is it? Portugal, Richard, is in a state of collapse. There was a lamentable truth in Hogan's grim words. The Portuguese royal family had fled to Brazil, leaving the country leaderless, and after their departure there had been riots in Lisbon, and many of Portugal's aristocrats were now more concerned with protecting themselves from the mob than defending their country against the French. Scores of the army's officers had already defected, joining the Portuguese legion that fought for the enemy and what officers remained were largely untrained. Their men were a rabble and armed with ancient weapons. So Portugal was in a state of collapse. But Sharp had also seen how the common people hated the French. A Porto might be falling to the enemy, but there was plenty of fight left in Portugal. Though it was hard to believe that, as yet more soldiers followed the retreating six-pounder gun down to the river. Lieutenant Colonel Christopher glanced at the fugitives, then looked back at Sharp. What on earth was Captain Hogan thinking of? Your presence can only slow me down. You can go back to him, Sharp, and tell him. But I don't need assistance in rescuing one damned silly little girl. The colonel had to raise his voice because the sound of cannons and musketry was suddenly loud. He gave me an order, sir, Sharp said stubbornly. And I'm giving you another, Christopher said, and took out a notebook and pencil. Just then another of the red-blossomed trees on the crest was struck by a cannonball.